Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Buck, I have to start with you. Uh, great atmosphere, great tailgate, fun day, uh, and then that last drive came. And as we watched it unfold up there in Section 206, uh, the question I just asked you off the air, I wonder how many people watching that game, wearing a shade of blue, thought Carolina was going to win that football game as Virginia Tech drove the field. It's just a story, to quote you, it's a story we've seen so many times. But your thoughts on yesterday? Well, uh, I think looking back on it, my one of my most vivid memories was the uh, opening game of the Carl Torbush era. Now we're taking we're going back a ways. Now um, they were playing Miami of Ohio, if I'm correct. I'm pretty sure I was. Randy Walker, I think, was the the coach uh, at that point, and uh, you know, Torbush inherited a lot of talent. They were ranked, actually, I think, number eleven uh, in that opening poll for that season in '98, and it was back and forth, back and forth a little bit, and then Miami got the ball. Um, with just a few minutes remaining in the fourth quarter and began to drive. And even though I had not had that experience in a long time with UNC football, actually, I knew for certain that Miami, Ohio was going to kick a field goal and win that football game. I mean, it was just, it just seemed inevitable. And I had that same exact feeling last night, um, that North Carolina coughs the ball up on the one-yard line. Virginia Tech recovers on the two. North Carolina had multiple opportunities to get them off the field, and including a fourth and nine, in which they played excellent defense, except they let Ryan Willis uh, scramble and, and pick up the first down there. Had they defense gotten that stop, North Carolina wins that game, but you could pick out like 14 different plays. And I, I don't think that's the case in every football game, but I think in this particular game, there were so many individual plays that if somebody had made a play, UNC is going to win that game. Um, if Michael Carter doesn't fumble on the goal line, UNC wins. If Elliott hits ARW in the end zone, UNC wins. If, Dazzle. North Carolina gets a stop on fourth down. North Carolina wins. Uh, if there's not a holding call, North Carolina wins. I mean, just over and over and, and over. Newsom so doesn't drop just, the drop the dime from uh, when he's wide open. Carolina from, wins. From Fortin, yes. Carolina wins. Uh, you know, we we do this, you know, often when we're dissecting football games, and we'll point to one play and we'll say hey, if that one play had gone a different way, different outcome. But in this particular game, what was so weird is there were like so many of those plays where North Carolina had the opportunity to to close it out. And if several of them had gone their way, 
they win by 20 points. So it's extremely frustrating, and I really wonder um, what the impact on the morale of the team will be, and that's something that we probably will think about and talk about for some time to come. But to lose a game in that fashion ha- has got to take – I mean, North Carolina football didn't have a lot of wind in its sails to begin with, but to lose in that fashion has got to be a little bit uh, really uh, demoralizing, I would think. Jason, it's like Carolina went all in to get that win. The, I mentioned it before. I thought the crowd was great. I thought uh, the student section was great. I thought the players were engaged. I thought uh, everything pointed towards them getting that win. Even when they actually didn't, you still look at the stats and you say, how did they not win? But the thing that gets me the most, I think, watching it is there's probably a checklist of things that had to go wrong for North Carolina and had to go right for Virginia Tech. All of them went wrong. All of them went right for Virginia Tech to squeeze that one out at the end. It's just unbelievable leaving Keenan Stadium uh, and them having lost that football game. I, I don't. I I didn't necessarily hear a question in there, but I, I'm just gonna say everything you said. I agree with. <laughs> hey, Buck, you hear that? I mean, I did. I what, did. what a devastating loss. I mean, and and the thing is, it's not just that you outplayed Virginia Tech. I mean, you know, as a coaching staff and as players, you outplayed them. You did everything. You know, you've been prepping for two weeks. You knew what you wanted. You got what you wanted. You did what you wanted. You got the mismatches and key spots to to be able to get some bi- the big plays that you thought you'd be able to get. I mean, everything went the way that you thought it would. And you're like, man, we had this game right. And you just ca- came up one play short from actually doing it. And you leave and you're like, God, like, and the one game I can think of from my past that's most like that is 2002 Florida state Miami where Miami was came in riding that long win streak. They just won the national title in, 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 uh, in, in 2001, man, we started in the spring prepping all sorts of stuff, knowing, okay, they're going to stay back in that cover too. They think they can stop us doing this, but we got Greg Jones. We got, uh, we got the backs to be able to run the football. We got the O-line to be able to run on them, and we think we can, we can bully them. We, we worked on stuff going all the way back to spring. That This, is, this stuff is how we're going to beat Miami. And we went down into Miami in 2002 and dominated that game. Greg Jones ran for, what, 189 yards against that defense. They, you know, everything went right up 13 points in the fourth quarter had a kicker who hadn't missed a kick in, in uh, something like 15 games. We get it down there inside the, uh, inside the 30 yard line or whatever for a, you know, what I think it's like a 38 yard field goal or whatever. I don't, I don't remember somewhere around a 40, 40 yard field goal. X hadn't missed. He was confident, knew he was going to, going to hit it. I still blame Chris Ricks for interrupting X on his way off the field, you know, to stop him. You know, he had this ritual that he had to do all of a sudden, you know, he gets out, he had to rush out there because we didn't have a time, uh, have a timeout. So he rushes out there to, to kick the field goal, goes wide left, and we lose 20, 28, 27 in a game that we dominated. And there's nothing worse than that feeling. 
that you had everything right, you'd worked on everything, you knew their weaknesses, you'd identified them, you'd done all of that, and everything went right, everything went like you expected, and then you lose, and you lose on basically the last play to make that work, you know, you've, you're, you're winning the whole game. It's just such an empty, it's the worst feeling. And yeah, and then to top that off with, with Carolina, you, you, you actually look like you found a quarterback. Everything's looking great. And then you add that, to, that that's, that's just insult to injury then. So I, it's just, it's, it's, it's the worst. The worst. But, you know, we've talked about the, the one plays, but something that I didn't really see it going on as it was happening. Second quarter, Carolina outgained Virginia Tech 143. I'm looking at it right, to nine. Yeah. And only scored three points Good to Virginia God. Tech's none in that. But, I mean, for a team that desperately, desperately needed to win, and then you add in the fact that it was Virginia Tech, and you had another in-state product commit to Virginia Tech over offer from Carolina, and just all the things. I mean, I agree with Jason. It, I'm not sure, and we can belabor the point all we need. We need to talk about, about some positives, but I'm not sure that Carolina's had a more devastating loss overall than right there, Saturday night in Keenan Stadium. Some it, people it will bad. point. Some people will point to, you know, the game I'm not going to speak about in Charlottesville uh, 22 years ago, but this was that, worse. Yeah, that game. But your thoughts just in that, in the sort of the, I won't say historical perspective, but I've never seen a Carolina team that needed to win more and then lose it like that. Well, the the game that we cannot speak of, um, that was completely different circumstances, right? Because everything was going right for UNC football in those days. North Carolina was riding high. All they had to do was go into Charlottesville, come out with a win, and they were in a alliance game, which, uh, yep. you know, for the millennials among us, um, <laughs> you know, that predated the BCS, and uh, that meant you went to a major bowl, which North Carolina has not been to since, like, 1949 or so. And so everything was going perfectly. And in that game, everything was going perfectly. And, uh, and then something tragic happened and they didn't win the game. So, you know, I, in terms of a really demoralizing loss, you know, I think that, uh, 96 game in Charlottesville was probably much worse, uh, because there was so much at stake then, um, in this particular game, uh, there, there wasn't the, the chips on the table, um, that were there for that, for that contest. And, you know, if, uh, if I had uh, another 30, 45 minutes to think about it, I could probably, uh, drag a game out of my memory where, you know, it was a, a, a truly demoralizing loss. Um, that there, there were some that, uh, you know, are indelible in the hippocampus for me. Uh, the loss to uh, that's got to be the first time we've heard hippocampus on this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, there, 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 there are a lot of losses. Uh, if, if I had time to think about it, that were 
truly demoralizing. I, I can think of, uh, I, I don't, can't remember the exact year, but it was a game that, uh, North Carolina played against Maryland when Bunning was the Tommy, you may remember it. They beat us like, I don't know, 59 to zip or whatever, but anyway, yeah, it, it, I don't know that it's super important that we place this game in the pantheon of, of horrible, uh, football losses for UNC. But at this particular juncture, uh, this staff, I think, really needed a win. They needed some positive energy flowing out of the program. And, you know, I'm not so sure that even from this game, there's not something positive we can talk about or several positive things we can talk about. Uh, But, you know, I I don't know that it's a productive exercise to try to pinpoint exactly where this game stacks up and, in games we wish we had never seen uh, played by UNC football. Bottom line, we can we can all agree that it's up there. Indeed, yeah. it is. It's funny that Buck that you mentioned that Maryland game because Maryland ran a boot, and I've said this before on this podcast. It was fifty nine to seven. I think Maryland beat Carolina in Keenan Stadium. They ran a boot that looked very similar to what Virginia Tech ran to score their first touchdown and. That was the earliest I had ever left a football game because when that dude booted for Maryland and broke out in the open, I've always said I could have run out of section 105 and tackled him and gotten closer to him than the Carolina player was. And Willis did that. And I leaned over to my guy across the aisle at, last night and said that reminded me of that naked boot that Maryland ran back when they beat the dog mess out of Chapel Hill out of Carolina in Chapel Hill. I want to move to some positives, but first let me talk about Jersey Mike's subs of Chapel Hill. As you know, all fall, Jersey Mike's has partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for the IC podcast listeners. All you need to know is the code HEELS15 and you get that 15% off your regular order. It's online promotion only, but this is it's pretty simple and easy and this is how it works. You go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show you locations nearest you. Click on one of those four area Chapel Hill locations, now five, that one's popped up in Chatham Crossing and Lowe's Food Shopping Center, right down 15501. But you go and you click on one of those, you order your favorite sub or subs for your tailgate options. November, three home games, plenty of options for Jersey Mike subs. But at checkout, you enter Hills 15 and get 15% off that order. Skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. Do it today. Place your order at one of those locations in Chapel Hill in Chatham County. Remember the code HEELS15. Get that 15% off your everyday order. Now, Jason, let, let's sp- turn to the positive. And I think we'd all agree, and I think everybody would agree, Michael Carter is a flat-out stud in North Carolina. Boy, can run, man. Speak to what you saw from him. I mean – Yards after contact, he is consistently stepping out of a tackle and just off to the races. Your thoughts on his play? It's just, you know, they got a, they got a good stable of backs. I mean, Antonio Williams is a really good back. Jordan Brown is a good college back. Michael Carter is a different is a different cat, man. Michael Carter, you just see it. It looks different when he gets the ball. And that, I mean, that, that's all you got to say. I mean, there, there's some guys when you look at them on tape, they just look different and he's looking different when, when he gets the ball. I mean, for one, you, the, the first thing that sticks out is the burst. 
you see a sudden speed change. First of all, when he gets the ball, you know, once, once he gets the handoff, you see him change speed. He, he has a real sense in, in zone stuff, especially for being able to, to, to hit the right seam at, at a good speed. And then secondly, once he hits that little jump cut or puts his foot in the ground, that's when you really see him change speed. And the ability to go from zero to from from first gear to third, fourth gear for him is I mean, he he is rapid. I mean, he's paddle shifting. He's not he's not he's he's not uh having to do a whole lot of of uh uh you know the stick shift stuff. He's got you know racer paddle shifts going where he is really hitting the acceleration. And then you package that with how how uh, strong he is through the core in the lower half. And he if, if you don't hit him square and hit him low, he's shedding. He's always going forward when when uh, when he's when, when he is tackled, he's always going forward. You there, there's only one play in this entire game. It just happened to be one where he was he was caught kind of going horizontal where uh, a Virginia Tech player was able to, to kind of form tackle him and put him on his back. But other than that, I mean, you're looking at a guy that every time he gets into a seam, you know, other backs, they're getting in there and they're getting into that, into the hole in time to be able to get four or five yards and, you know, maybe fall forward. He's hitting the hole at such at such the perfect time that the guy that's supposed to be filling that is just a, a half step slower. And all of a sudden he's reaching out, trying to get a hand on him and he'll break that. And then all of a sudden, instead of getting a, a four or five yard run, he's got, you know, 13, 14 in a blink. So, I mean, this is, that's what an NFL back looks like. And, and, you know, he, listen, Elijah, Elijah, uh, uh, Elijah was a good back. Uh, Logan was a good back. Uh, I think Carter is actually better than both of those guys were at this stage in terms of as a as a as a true runner as a complete back now you know tj logan brought a little bit more out of the out of the backfield as a receiver maybe but carter's really impressing me indeed 18 carries uh, 165 yards lost three um, which is pretty impressive 9.2 yards a carry against virginia tech's defense and we talked about not the best virginia tech defense but still virginia tech's defense and he shredded them buck another guy i thought was uh, fantastic had only two catches but that was carl tucker two catches 123 yards and we've ripped on elliot and he deserved a lot of the ripping that seed he threw to uh, tucker for the 80 yard pass or to catch and run just a great ball great throw but tucker really came into his own last night yeah he's uh, tucker has shown flashes uh several times during his career uh when he's had the opportunities and I can remember, was it the Duke game last year or the year before where he had a uh, a touchdown catch of like 50 yards or so? Um, you know, it's it's a great thing to have a tight end who is available and as a check down target, somebody that the quarterback can rely on, uh, a big target uh, that, you know, is a safe uh, outlet for a young quarterback that's one thing but you know a guy that can that can catch a ball for 50 or 80 yards as a tight end in a college game you know they don't grow on trees and uh that, 
that was a that was a terrific throw by Elliot. I said in my column uh, yesterday that uh, that's probably the best throw I've seen Elliot uh, attempt. In, in oh, there ain't no problem there. So, it in any event though that that is a a really uh, tremendous positive for the UNC offense to have a guy like that that can that can churn out the that kind of yardage on a catch. The the guy I'd like to kind of talk about a little bit because uh, we're on this podcast and, and with Jason and uh, he's kind of Jason's boy uh, is Jason Strobridge and uh, the North Carolina defense, you know, for a while on the defensive line has lacked a real war daddy on the defensive line. And Strobridge is entering that that territory now, I believe. Um, he, he is really getting after it on the defensive line. Uh, you know, he was pretty highly touted out of high school, but more as a defensive end. And now he's on the interior. And, and I think John Papuchas is using him in a very wise way and maximizing his talents uh, as an interior rusher somebody that can get up through the middle of the, of the defense to create havoc. And, uh, you know, it, I, I'm really impressed with Jason Strobridge. And I was impressed with, the, even granted, they gave up a 90-yard, 98-yard uh, drive uh, at the end of the game. For the most part, I thought this was a tremendously solid defensive effort. And, just thinking about it to myself and, and being at the game, watching the game, and then looking at some of the game afterwards uh, online. Uh, North Carolina put a defense on the field last night. Um, that was the defense out there. And, and there's not been that many times we could say that. Uh, that Virginia Tech doesn't have a great rushing game. Uh, they, they've got their backup quarterback, Ryan Willis, in for which I think might be the best thing that's happened to Virginia Tech this year. Um, and they've got Justin Fuente, who's you know an offensive-minded coach, supposed to be an offensive guru. And, and North Carolina's defense showed up. Now, um, there were some deficiencies there also we could talk about on the defensive side of the ball, particularly – uh, a piece of the secondary. I don't like to throw too many people under the bus, but there, there was a glaring exception to uh, the stellar play for the, from the defense for the entire evening. But that was a legitimate defense they had out there on the field. Uh, did they, they made a few mistakes, sure. They gave up a couple of long uh, runs to Ryan Willis in the first half. They, they didn't make a play when they had to on fourth and nine late in the fourth quarter. But for me, that was about as impressive defensive effort as I've seen out of North Carolina in a very long time. I'm going to come back to you, Jason, but let me talk about a way to go travel. It is heelstravel.com. It's the easiest way to book travel to big UNC basketball away games. And right now, heelstravel.com is offering packages to Las Vegas for three nights and two games. Two nights in Chicago for Carolina and Kentucky, and hotel accommodations for the ACC tournament in Charlotte. 
Visit HillsTravel.com now. Call 336-855-0060 to book. The trip to Vegas includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation to and from the airport from the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino in Vegas. And then you got that trip to Chicago to see Carolina and Kentucky on the basketball court. That's on December 22nd. Great Christmas idea uh, for some of the Carolina fans out there. Going to be a great trip. Visit hillstravel.com. Or call 336-855-0060. That's a way to go travel at hillstravel.com. Do it now. Jason, the fact that Carney and Fox were out there together, I think really made a difference. And like Buck, Buck said, Strobridge, uh, whether he benefited of having both of those guys out there, either way, I thought the defensive line played as good as a defensive line from North Carolina's played, like Buck says, maybe in the Fedora era, uh, we could go back to 12 or 13, perhaps. Uh, my memories fades when we get back in that time frame. But I, I just thought they looked, like Buck said, looked like a legitimate P5 defense out there with all their pieces. Now, Crawford being fully healthy and playing more than four snaps would have helped even further, but Miles Dorn, graded out really well your thoughts overall and then uh, maybe piece by piece of that defense last night well i mean first of all they gave up 22 points you give up 22 points in today's game you expect to win the game absolutely 22 points is enough to win a game in a college football in, in college football these days with as many as many possessions as they had i mean let's 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 take a look how many possessions we have um i know this isn't good uh podcast practice to count on air but you're looking okay. at what uh one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So you're looking at thirteen possessions for Virginia Tech, right? Thirteen possessions. And you're gonna give up twenty-two points on thirteen possessions. That's pretty dang good. I mean, you look at you look at this stretch for the Carolina defense after the opening opening drive touchdown, right? Which was obtained due to a fumble, right? So after the after that opening fumble. Uh, you, you have that that uh, initial initial uh, touchdown for Virginia Tech, right? Then here's here's Virginia Tech's next next uh, next few drives. Interception, punt, 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 punt. End of half, punt, touchdown, interception, punt. That's good defense right there. If if you ask me, pretty much at any level, if I'm going to take that stretch of, of of play from from my defense i'm taking it every time and they played well enough to win this game and yeah even including that last drive yeah they gave up a you know 18 play 98 yard drive at the end there and yeah that goes on the defense sure but listen the offense you you've you've got multiple opportunities to put this game away you, you know, you 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 drop a, a a deep ball that 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 would would have put the game away early. You 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 know you fumble, although that you know it's a, it's a bad a bad break in terms of getting a helmet on the football. But you fumble going in, opportunity to put the game away. You miss what two field goals? Yep. You know, two field goals could have put the game. I mean, the defense did everything you could ask except for get that final stop. Now that except for 
does kind of typify Carolina football of late, which is, you know, well, they'd have been good, but for the injuries or, you know, man, they, they were right that, you know, th- this, this could have been really a, a great season, except for, you know, they don't have a quarterback or whatever. I mean, it, it just seems like right now, Carolina football is just always one piece short of what they need to be able to do, to be able to get the results that you'd expect. And, and again, that's the margins in college football. You're one in four, but you know, with a couple, a couple pieces changed, you know, you don't have the suspensions, you know, that, that's another thing. Oh, things have been great, but for the suspensions, right. You don't have the suspensions and you have better play at the quarterback position. And this team could very easily be undefeated. Same group of kids, same group of coaches. You change. I mean, you could make the argument that if you get if you put Mitch Trubisky on this team, this team's undefeated right now. You put Marquise Williams on this team. This team's probably undefeated right now. One piece short. And uh, in any way, the defense and yeah, they, they picked on, they picked on one member of the secondary more than others at this, in this game, but it's not like he played badly. I mean, you had some, he forced some guys to make some catches on some of the plays where they took advantage of him. So, you know, I, I, I thought that that defense not only looked like a, a competent power five defense, but looked like one of the better defenses in the ACC. I mean, the way that they were able to, to, to ca- cause havoc, havoc up front and, and, you know, reliably tackle in the secondary, they played good defense across the board. So it's just a shame that they didn't manage to get a win out of it. Indeed. Let's close the show, Buck, about um... – and it, it's a little painful to talk about it because you've got to – Jason, I think you tweeted. Well, we've um, avoided pain completely throughout this podcast, so I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, this is now. prediction pain. Uh, it reminds me of the Hellraiser movie uh, where the dude's standing there in the shadows and he just says pain and the smoke comes out of his mouth or the steam comes out of his mouth. Uh, and he's got pins all in his head too, so that's pretty painful. But let's talk about the quarterback. Jason, you tweeted it during the game. Uh, and I, I guess by the time people listen to this podcast, we'll know uh, what's up with Fortin. But it did not look really? good. But, but for right <laughs> there, uh, it looked like Carolina had a, a solid P5 quarterback for a few minutes. Um, your thoughts on what you saw out of the kid? I mean, he, he did not. I, it, for me, it looked like Trubisky a little bit out there, the way he carried himself. But what's your thoughts on what you saw from Fortin uh, last night? Because we may not see it for a good while. But but anyway, go ahead and tell us what positives you saw. Well, I think with any quarterback that's a, a freshman, and much less a true freshman, uh, you know, regardless of what their hype is, you know, coming out of high school. One of the things that Jason will tell you and anybody will tell you is that none of that really matters until you see them under the, you know, the glare of uh, the Klieg lights during a college football game. The the speed of the game is so much different. The uh, complexity of the playbook is so much different. There is so much more going on. when you get to the college level that until you actually see somebody competing in a college game, you can't really have a feel 
for what kind of quarterback they're going to be. And so the first thing I would say about Cade Fortin is the game wasn't too big for him. He he did not look like somebody who was, you know, the, the proverbial deer caught in the headlights. Um, he was poised. Um, I thought he did not, and, and Fedora mentioned this during his press conference because it would be something that Fedora would focus on, is that Fortin did not pay too much attention to the rush. And, and that's a problem for quarterbacks is that, you know, quarterbacks – when they go south and when they don't succeed, it's because they're looking down, uh, worried about the the pass rush and where the you know, the the rusher is coming from, instead of looking at where they're going to throw the ball. And and Fortin did not do that. He he kept his head up. He looked downfield. He didn't uh, focus too much on the pass rush. And he can put some zip on the football. And, and, and that's the thing you and I talked about a little bit last night while we were watching the game. I, there's no question in my mind that if, if you put Elliot and Kay Fortin in the weight room and, and you had them do curls with weights, uh, Elliot would slay Fortin every time. But in, in terms of throwing the football and putting – zip on the football, uh, Fortin can get the ball from point A to point B much faster. And as a result of that, he can get it further downfield. And, and we probably ought to mention, and, and again, we don't, we're not fans of throwing players under the bus, but, uh, Daz Newsom, when you, the ball bounces up and your hits your hands and bounces up. That's a ball you got to catch. You know, that's uh, – you, you can't let that ball hit the ground. And, uh, you know, but Daz, Daz had a good game. I, I think he led the, the team in yards. But that one catch, uh, you know, just like quarterbacks would like to have balls they back that they threw, or, uh, that's probably one effort that uh, Daz would like to have back. But so that, that's my overall assessment of him. Uh, I think they probably – there's no question they probably uh, pared the playbook down for him. But what they asked him to do, he did, and he did well. Um, and, you know, he's got the velocity. I think he's got the head. I think mentally uh, he, he's got that capability to be a good college quarterback. And uh, as we saw, you know, he's got the arm strength to, and Jason and I and you have talked about this many times, um, uh, if you have a quarterback that can make all the throws, if he can make that that throw, uh, that out throw to the wide side of the field, um, then you've got somebody that the defense really has to be concerned about. And and to me, Fortin showed all those things. Yeah, Jason, watching, uh, especially after the first, I think it was maybe after the Newsom pass and drop and talking about bobbling at one – I can see a ball going through somebody's arms and, and you drop it. When you tip it up in the air and it's right in front of you, you got to get it the second time. But at any rate, Fortin had Virginia Tech safeties. And the great thing about Buck in our seats is it's like the all-22s. You're, you're oh, yeah. high enough yeah. looking. And their safeties, when, when Elliott came in, 
their safeties were immediately two, three yards closer to the line, at, right out of the gate, creeping down. You know, but your thoughts on on Fortin? And we've talked about maybe Fortin's not ready. Ruder was a little fur, further along because, as Buck knows, uh, number ten's about to become my favorite player on the football team. Absolutely. <laughs> But anyway, your thoughts on what you saw out of the position there, Jason, first half? I think Buck said it well that it looked it looked like a uh, it, he looked a little bit Trubisky-ish in terms of how he handled pressure, where his eyes you know his body language was was like that. Now that's unfair to compare anybody to Trubisky as a second pick in the draft, but you know seeing a kid in Carolina blue who just in terms of body language and movement in the pocket and just overall exuding comfort on the football field that was there. And, you know, if you look at the, at at his stats and you look at the overall, you know, at some of the pro football focus grades, you know, by, by uh, section of the field and all that, not everything came out great. I mean, there's some stuff that he could have, he could have done better. There's some throws he could have made better, but then there were some things that it was like, okay, this kid, this kid's, this kid's got it. Like he's got a chance to be pretty good. Uh, one thing I always look at uh, is when you got a guy throwing the little swing pass or the flat route to the running back, but particularly the swing pass, that's a really tough throw. A lot of people don't realize that that's actually one of the tougher throws to throw well as a quarterback. And, and a lot of times you'll see guys uh, who are, you know, not, not the most accurate quarterbacks, What'll happen is they'll throw that ball on a swing route and the back will have to slow down a little bit. He'll have to change his path a little bit. He might get turned around a little bit. Your top level quarterbacks, watch Tom Brady. When he throws that, when he throws those, those routes to the flat, guys don't break stride. When you see him throw that swing pass, that guy is, is catching it on a full gallop and has a two way go because, you know, Brady could just hand it to him basically. Fortin did that. That's one of the things that's that to me is, is one of the first things I look at when grading a young guy and whether or not he's able to make accurate throws. And we've talked about this before, you know, all the way back to Marquise Williams and Trubisky. And, uh, you know, the same, same thing applies to, uh, to Elliot and to Surratt, both of whom have had trouble throwing that ball. They've turned their guys around a lot on that. Fortin, not even a question. You know, he's hitting those, in stride, laying it out there like he's handing it to him. That's a good sign in terms of accuracy. Then the, one of the other ones that stood out to me is you're looking at him throwing the from the from I think it was the right hash to the left sideline on an on a on a on an out route for a first down, putting that ball right on the money and doing it on time. It's not just the ability, arm strength wise, to make the throw. It's the ability to throw it on time so that the corner doesn't have a chance to undercut it. I mean, if if, if you're throwing it, even if you throw a, a, a really, a, 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 even if you, you have great RPMs and, you know, throw, throw a really quick ball there, if you throw it late, that, that, that ball is not going to be completed. If you throw it on time, you got a chance. And he threw on time regularly particularly outside the numbers which shows some some confidence with his arm first of all and second of all shows that he's processing quickly the processing speed for him was faster than Elliot and you're talking about a guy that hasn't been in the offense for very long 
So all of that is really positive. And then, you know, the numbers would have looked a whole lot different if Newsom had caught that and, and, and taken that in from 85 yards out. Not only would that have been a win, but the numbers would have looked real different for, for Fortin as well in terms of, uh, of, of what kind of game it would have looked like he had. But he, he gave his guys some chances. Uh, and again, I, I, I agree with Buck that the other thing that really stood out is being able to process quickly against a Virginia Tech defense that threw some looks at him and got some pressure on him, but being able to process quickly without paying a whole lot of attention to what was going on underneath. Now, again, you got to give the Carolina offensive line a lot of credit because you, you look at, uh, uh, I think, pro football focus graded out their uh, pass blocking uh, at like 90, 90% or something like that on the night. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not looking at it at the moment, but it was very high. Pass blocking on the night was very good but you're still seeing a lot of looks and he wasn't phased by any of it. So, you know, that's the stuff that you're looking for. Can the guy handle the the pressure? Can he handle the lights? Is he going to be able to process at the speed necessary and all of those? And and is he going to be able to be accurate when he does process? And to me, that was check, 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 check. Would, would he have liked to have had a couple throws back? Sure. Are there a couple places where he could clean some stuff up? Sure. But those four things are what I'm looking for, and he got check marks on all of them. So that's a plus for the future, for sure. Good stuff, yep, indeed. I think uh, I'll be the glass half full, but I, there was a lot to like. There's a lot of talent. Is there enough talent? No, there's a there's enough talent to win, especially in the Coastal Division of the ACC. They just got to figure out how to get it done one way or another. We'll talk about it a plenty. Carolina, I believe Syracuse kicks at noon or 12.20 or so next Saturday. But Buck and Jason, that'll do it for tonight. Appreciate you guys joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.